Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma. Thanks for checking out localjobnetwork.com radio. This is Employment Notebook, where we bring on experienced individuals to discuss topics that focus on important aspects in the workplace. Today, that will include the psychological health of your workplace and the varying factors that may contribute. To discuss these items and their impact, we're speaking with licensed psychologist Dr. Alan Caviola. He is also a professor in the Department of Psychological Counseling at Monmouth University in New Jersey. Alan, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Now, this is an interesting topic. Uh, of course, we, we think about the workload and we think about what goes on in the workplace, but we're talking about psychological health. In general, what would you look to to determine just what it's like in that workplace? As a matter of fact, Tim, yeah, there's a, a number of factors that really contribute to a workplace being a, a psychologically healthy place to, uh, to be in. A lot of times, you know, people equate you know, healthy workplaces with you know, their workload or perhaps even um, how much they're getting paid, you mm, know, and, th- sure. and that becomes kind of a source of validation for them, I guess. But, I mean, there are really a lot of other uh, factors that go into, you know, what we've seen as constituting a healthy workplace, like what makes up a healthy workplace. So. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we'll get into some details with that. You mentioned a couple of things that people might think relate how much of a factor is it just the people that are around you and, and enjoying yourself? I mean, I know work is work, but how much of a factor is it to the individuals that you're with? Well, here's what we found. We did research a few years back. We were writing a book called Toxic Coworkers. So there we were looking at uh, workplace stressors. And what was really interesting is, is that we had about 1,200 people that we surveyed. And uh, basically what we found is, is that most of the stress that people experienced at work was really due to relationships with coworkers, with bosses, or, or could even be an employee or somebody working uh, for you, hmm. for example. And that seemed to be a major source of stress. Everybody always assumed that it had to do with, uh, you know, uh, workload and long hours. I, and, and I'm not downplaying the fact that those factors can be stressful, right. but generally what we were finding in our research is that you know, if you're working along with people, if you feel, you know, a sense of camaraderie, if you feel a sense that, hey, we're, we're all in this boat together, we're all rowing in the same direction, that those things really had a major role in terms of how people uh, dealt with the stress of work. Well, and as you said, I think a lot of people might not um, think about it. Maybe if they take a step back after hearing you talk about it, like, you know, okay, that does make sense. So-and-so, you know, makes it an enjoyable place or, or a not-so-enjoyable place to work. Well, I wanted to get into some details to help out, uh, you know, whether it be supervisors, employers in general, and, and trying to figure out, okay, is our place a, you know, a healthy work environment for our employees? And um, some of the questions that had come up in an article that you had, I just wanted to touch on those, get your thoughts, get your uh, idea sure. of, of why they're an impact. And the first one up there is, is the expectation of work. Do I know what's expected of me? Why is that so valuable and important in terms of psychological health? Right. Tim, yeah, and, and this uh, list of questions actually comes from uh, Buckingham and Kaufman. Okay. They had written a book in 1999, which was called First Break All the Rules, which, uh, <laughs> which is really a well-written book, very practical, and, and they did touch on the aspect of uh, healthy workplaces. The thing about expectations at work is that what stresses people out is when they get thrown curves constantly about 
oh, uh, you know, I know you're working on this project, but I want you to start working on this. Right. Or, I, I know you're working on this thing, but I, I want you to do, you know, I want you to do this and that. And all, all of a sudden, the person finds themselves with like four or five other tasks that they're doing, mm-hmm. and, and people feel overwhelmed. If the if person knows every day, for example, that they go in and they know exactly what's expected of them, that really seems to contribute to more of a sense of, uh, okay, I, I know what's expected of me, I can do my job, and I'm not going to have all these curves thrown at me. So when it comes to that, I mean, of course, things do pop up depending on the work environment you're in. If you're a supervisor, mm-hmm. you're, you're a manager in some way, how do you limit that impact? How do you make sure that the employee doesn't necessarily feel completely uncertain as far as what they're supposed to do? Yeah, exactly, Tim. That's a great question because as a manager or as a supervisor, what they would really need to help their employee do then is to prioritize the work. In other words, rather than saying, oh, here are five things you need to do, it really is important to then convey to this person that, hey, look, I, I know there's, there's this project that's come up or there's, or there's uh, some extra things that I want you to do. But what would be clear is that, okay, here's how I want you to prioritize these tasks. Like, here's, here's the thing I'd like you to put on the back burner. Here's the thing I'd like you to focus on right now. And also, if it does involve uh, extra workload, that perhaps there's even some type of compensation for it, like mm. either you know comp time or, or overtime pay or, or something along those lines. I think one of the abuses in, in the workplace is a lot of times people find themselves loaded with a ton of extra work. They're not getting any kind of compensation. And, you know, a a pat on the back is great. I mean, you know, that was the (laughs) point of uh, Ken Blanchard's book, you know, the one minute manager, but uh, that only goes so far if a person really is, you know, working above and beyond. There has to be some kind of incentive system for people. Sure. Well, another point that was brought up that's, I think, in a similar vein is the idea of having the opportunity to do what you do best every day. And as you mentioned, you, you get this extra workload and maybe you're sort of spread in these different directions. Why does it matter for us individually that we want to be able to do those things that we think we're good at? Psychologists uh, use the term uh, self-efficacy. And, and basically what that is, is that it's a sense of confidence that a person has in their ability to do their work. So if a person has that opportunity, and again, I mean, it's work, so it doesn't mean that you're going to be there and getting, you know, just all, all the cake jobs every day <laughs> to do. I mean, there, I think every job has its aspect of things that they like doing and things that they dislike. I mean, sure. as, a, as a psychotherapist, for example, I love talking with people. I love working with people. I hate paperwork. I hate <laughs> dealing with insurance companies. <laughs> those are my, those are the two things I dislike, but I know it's part part of the work that I do. So I think if a person has the opportunity to really shine, to really be able to do something that they do great, I mean that that really goes a long way in terms of work satisfaction or having a healthy workplace. So in that sense, if you're a manager, are you looking to give as you said, maybe not cake tasks all the time, but really trying to to focus on what could help this individual succeed and shine, maybe even in planning that, hey, in the future, you're going to have some stuff that you're not going to like as much. Exactly. But if you take somebody who's really a conscientious manager, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to figure out what's this, what's this person's strengths and how can I kind of get the get the person to work at those strengths because it's going to be good for the company or the organization as well as for the individual in terms of their own satisfaction with work, 
one of the things that companies really miss the boat on is when they have high turnover rates. Mm-hmm. Because when people leave, it's costing them tons of money because it's like money flying out the window because they're going to have to take time to hire somebody, which is a, it's a huge process right. uh, you know, in terms of interviewing and recruiting and all that. Then they're going to have to train somebody. So it's just, it makes more sense to, to keep your workforce satisfied, give them opportunities to be able to do things that they're good at, give them opportunities for growth things that will maybe stretch their capabilities and such. I mean, that, that's a key to success, both for the company or the organization, as well as, you know, for the employee as well. Yeah, I think you make some valid points regarding uh, turnover and, and people not seeing the, the high costs on the, the back end when you have to recover from that and hire new individuals. I, I think uh, yeah, important for everyone to keep that in mind moving forward. Right. You know, of course, we don't have all the time in the world here, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, just picking some questions sure. out from this list. And um, another one that I, I found interesting, and, and I've seen this in other areas too, is the question of at work, do my opinions seem to count? And I always find that's an intriguing one because, mm-hmm. of course, if you have a manager and they have a manager that sort of might limit your you know, availability to be, to be impactful with your opinions and your thoughts. But why is that important? Why does that lead to psychological health? Exactly. Good question, Tim. Basically, what happens is, is that if a person feels that their opinions, their input is valued, it really does create a sense of validation. The person feels validated. They feel that I'm a contributor, I'm being heard, my opinions are at least being heard, they're being considered. And those things really, really are important to the emotional health of a, of a workplace. The person basically feels valued because they are able to contribute. What's really interesting is there's a recent New York Times article, uh, June 1st of this year, and the title of the article was called Why You Hate Work, <laughs> written by uh, Tony Schwartz and uh, Christine Porath. And uh, what the article basically said was, it was exactly this point. They said that if people feel emotionally valued in the workplace, so they feel appreciated for their contributions, that was really one of the core values of, of what went into making a healthy workplace. So it's, it's really interesting. As you said, Tim, that, you, know, you see this in so many different articles or you see this in so many different books. But a lot of times managers or administrators don't really, you know, emphasize this, you know, that they don't really listen to, you know, what their employees are suggesting and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side, from a, a managerial point of view, I, I do understand in some cases you, you can't necessarily implement all these things. But right. what would you suggest as a way to, to find a medium in some way or find a, a way to give people that feeling that their opinions count, even if you're not completely throwing it into a project or overhauling something? Yeah, it could be something as simple as what psychologists, we, we call validation, like where the person would, uh, administrator or somebody would say, hey, I really like that idea. I don't know if we're going to be able to implement it right now, but, but let's, let's keep this like on the radar screen, because right. maybe down the road we can. Because that really goes a long way to say to the employee, look, I valued the fact that you thought about this, you're contributing, you brought up your ideas. It was really interesting. If, what was it? God, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, those, the concept of quality circles. And it really kind of came out of a lot of Japanese corporations. Mm-hmm. What they would do is, is they had a particular problem. They would call in you know, people from the janitorial staff and all the way up to the, you know, administrators and such. And they would just say, hey, look, we, let's take off our, our hats here in terms of our roles. 
but let's just kind of talk about this problem and, and brainstorm and see what we can come up with. And lo and behold, they really found that this became an effective way because to solve problems because you had different perceptions of the problem. And there were things that maybe the, you know, the janitorial staff would see that maybe the CEO wouldn't see. Sure. They're not on the work, work floor every day, you know, that, that type of thing. So, so, you know, it's important to validate when, when people are contributing. Also keeps them engaged with work. Mm-hmm. That's one of the other things, too, that's been a huge problem, especially in American corporations, is what's called disengagement. Like people are just showing up, going through the motions, you know, waiting for Friday, you know, and, right. and they're disengaged. And this is a huge, huge problem in our, in our country right now. This is all fascinating stuff to me. I love uh, diving into psychological aspects. And we're getting a little low on time, but I wanted to try to hit on a couple more quickly. And it, it goes to the idea of what we talked about earlier as far as the individuals that you're possibly working with. And maybe we can lump these together a little bit. But sure. the one is, uh, are my coworkers committed to doing quality work? And I bring that up because I'm curious how that impacts you as an individual. And then also, how as a manager can you help alleviate that or, or make sure that's not an issue? I guess a good way to phrase this question, too, is are my coworkers, is everybody here committed to the mission? Right. I have a son who's in the uh, military. He's a captain in the Army. And, and one of the things that's always impressed me about the military, any, any military folks that you talk with, men or women in the service, uh, various services, etc., they're all focused on the mission. And this is something where, you know, everybody there is committed to carrying through whatever the mission is. I mean, they, you know, you talk about a really high degree of commitment, mm-hmm. and this is really basically the same thing. The adage is, and you've probably heard this, Tim, where they say that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Sure. You know, so you have 10% usually are very committed. They're there, they show up every day, they roll up their sleeves, they get involved in the work. And then you have, you know, the ones that are just, you know, they're, they're going through the motions. They're not committed. They don't want to be there, you know. And as an expression we use in academia, we call it dragging dead bodies, you know, because <laughs> it's like, you, you know, it's like you got the people who are really enthusiastic and, you know, really passionate about their jobs, about doing a good job. And then you have the others that are just, you know, they're dragging their way through the day. And, and it becomes really frustrating, especially for the people who are committed. So that's the other thing a a good manager will do is to try to put these people who are very committed, very passionate together to bounce ideas off of one another. It's like a synergy that Mm -hmm. that occurs. So yeah, yeah, it becomes a very uh, helpful thing. Well, unfortunately, we are uh, getting up against the clock here, but I wanted to give you the the final opportunity, uh, give our listeners a nice takeaway or a a summary of uh, just this idea, this topic, maybe emphasize something we haven't necessarily touched on, but we are talking about psychological health in the workplace. What's a a lasting impression you can leave for us today in terms of this topic? Oh, thanks, Tim. Yeah. One of the things that I'd suggest that people do is, is that you know, if they are really unhappy with their jobs, they're, they're dissatisfied, is maybe to look at some of the specifics as to why that is. Is it, is it because of a particular coworker or a boss or an employee? And, and the important thing then is really to begin to, to talk about that with somebody, you know, a trusted person. It doesn't have to be somebody within the company. It could even be somebody outside of the company. Begin to examine maybe why that is and what are some of the options? Uh, what can you do differently to kind of Suffer in silence is, is really uh, kind of torture. So it's uh, begin to look for some solutions. Very well put. And I love how uh, in the end, it always seems like it comes back to communications. It really does. Yeah. Always keep that in mind. Like, as you said, 
I love that. Suffering in silence is uh, is not enjoyable at all. So right. unfortunately, that will do it for us here on this episode of Employment Notebook. And again, our having a conversation with Dr. Alan Caviola on the psychological health of your workplace. Alan, again, thanks for bringing us your perspective today. We do appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Tim. And as always, we'd love to hear from you as well. Uh, just send us some suggestions or feedback to Radio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter. Find us at the LJN. You can also use hashtag LJN Radio to get involved with some more conversations there on Twitter. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. 